Hey guys, welcome back. Andy here from Wealth HQ, where we help accelerate and protect your journey towards home ownership. Today, we're joined with financial advisor, Anna, who works here at Mortgage HQ with us and the wider team. Anna, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. I'm really excited to talk today because today's discussion is all around the four mistakes stopping you from buying a property in 2024. Now, these mistakes or have been shown to affect a lot of first-home buyers in the last 12, 24 months. And we're going to lean on your experience with first-home to run through what these four points are and how to safely navigate them. Now, you have dealt with hundreds of first-home buyers in the past and also investment uh, or people buying the first investment property or second investment property. You've been in the industry for a very long time. Just tell us about your story so far. <laughs> yeah, I guess very, very quick intro. So yeah, I'm Anna. I'm a financial advisor at Mortgage HQ. I've been in the industry for about seven years now and an advisor for five years. Purchased my first property three years ago. And look, to be honest, I wouldn't have been able to do that without, you know, being in this sort of property focused environment. A lot of the stuff isn't taught in school. So I think, yeah, unless you learn about it or speak to people, it's going to sort of hold you back from that. But yeah, I love my job and I believe in what we do, which is basically helping people build wealth and get into a stronger financial position. I find it absolute criminal as well that they don't teach this, these things at school. Oh, right? absolutely. It's not readily available for people these days to get the information that they need at a very young age. But this is why we have these conversations because there are people out there that are interested in purchasing the first home and they don't know how to navigate those waters. So Anna, you're also a homeowner. You bought three years ago. Uh, talk to us before we go through these four points about how you did navigate the, that journey because you were obviously inside the industry and that would have helped having people around. But just talk about that journey for you and how that was uh, stressful. Was it easy even knowing the industry? Yeah, yeah. It was a super overwhelming experience. Definitely wasn't easy. Even though I was still in the industry, there was still a lot of unknowns because I hadn't gone through that process myself. I've just sort of helped clients navigate that. But yeah, overwhelming. But to be honest, when I sat down with my broker and, and they went through each point, it sort of made me feel relaxed. You know, they helped me through that process of buying my first home. Yeah, just really detailing what's next and what to do and sort of learning more about it and learning about the process. That was the, the main factor for me. Yeah, I, I remember when I did go through the my three years ago, I went through the same sort of process and I, mean, I was more of insurance related, right? Not mortgage side, but I had a good understanding of the industry and how it worked. And I there's still things that I didn't know that I felt like I should have, yeah, right? So yeah. I can't begin to imagine never getting this even without that little bit of knowledge. So with that being said, I want to focus on the four points that and the reason we're here today, right? The four mistakes that we've seen over the years that have stopped people buying a property. And these four mistakes will also stop first-time buyers purchasing property in this year as well. So the first one, not believing you can actually do it, right? External factors, so easy to blame them. We've just had COVID, we've had the recession, inflation, higher interest rates, all of these things are stopping people mentally from thinking that they can achieve their goal, right? The mindset itself prevents people from not taking action. Now, it is always a really, really important to focus on things that we can control. From your experience, you've no doubt seen this mindset before as well. What are some of the things that people out there can actually control to change this mindset and make themselves feel good about being able to purchase a property this year? Yeah. And look, to be honest, that was me. I had such a, a negative ownership on home ownership when I was younger. Like I probably came from an envious place, you know, more than anything. I always had this attitude of I'm renting in Auckland. I'm on a single income. There's no way I'm going to buy a house in Auckland, especially because, you know, my savings weren't growing at the same rate that properties were increasing in value. And yeah, I think a lot of my friends and whanau even today would say the same thing. So it wasn't until I really sat down and, and learned more about mortgages, you know, what's actually required, how 
the bank assesses us and, and what the minimum deposit was, where I started to realize that actually it is quite possible and not that far out of reach. To be honest, mindset is a big part of it. It sounds silly or, or stupid, but to be honest, it, yeah, that switch in my brain where I was like, hey, I can actually do this. It's not that far. That was a big part of it. Naturally, we can't control everything. Property prices are going to go up and down. Interest rates are going to go up and down. There's a lot of time where we miss out on our dream property when we're actually looking at open homes or going to auctions because someone else bids higher than our, our max budget. But what you can control is your what you do with your money, You know, your education around it, believing yourself, but also just being more, I guess, open-minded is a big thing. Yeah. We can't save for people, can we? People need to start looking at what they can save, what they can cut out. You need to look at things that we can control. As you mentioned, a few things that we can't control. And I've been in that feeling as well. I was like, you feel like the world's against you. You feel like it's, you just can't do it. But it's that, that attitude of, I can't do it, opposed to the attitude of, what do I need to do, right? And I've been in that with many things. I've done it just even in sport, you know, and I've, but I've played golf. I've done it even in, <laughs> in sport. Yeah, I can't do this. I can't do this. It's like, well, if I put enough time, training and learning into myself, I'm going to get better. And I realize that you can actually do it. But one of the big things as well that we do see is poor income allocation. This is point number two, right? It's ignoring sort of the financial planning, the importance behind this, right? Because income and your spending of that money has a big impact on purchasing a property. You've seen it with all of the applications that you've looked at, all the clients you've looked at. Talk to me about the effects of poor income allocation and not putting time into really looking at how to properly do this. Poor income allocation, you know, it doesn't mean that you can never go out for brunch or, you know, affect your lifestyle, but it's more about being aware of where you're spending your money and, you know, setting a savings goal of what you want to achieve. For example, if you wanted to buy a $700,000 property, we need at least 70000 which is that 10%, and also a time frame that you want to achieve it. More importantly, I think it's keeping yourself accountable. Accountability is it's the hardest thing. You know, we're human. Naturally, we want to buy something or a gig pops up we want to go and attend, and then next minute we're transferring $200 from our savings account into our transactional. So yeah, it's just about taking the time to actually note down on a spreadsheet, and that's what you know Wealth HQ helps with in terms of setting up your budgeting spreadsheet in terms of what your income is, what your expenses are, your debts, and figuring out exactly how much you're left over each pay. Yeah, it's just that sort of bottom figure of how much we're left over with. That's what we really need to, to focus on in terms of building up that deposit and savings. With the conversations you've had with your clients and this, I guess, around the savings, how often do you hear that I can't save, I'm struggling to save? How often do you hear that? Because that's still with the mindset and no doubt poor income, but do you hear that a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's sort of feeling that pain at the moment where cost of living is high and naturally it's difficult to save when you've got rent and you've got all of these high expenses. Yeah, I understand that. I think a lot of people are also just not aware of where their money's going. So they say they can't save, but where did that $200 per week go? You know, did you spend it on food or entertainment? And I'm not saying that we can't do those things, but it's just putting more towards your savings account rather than just wasteful spending. And I think the misconception of this whole smashed avalon toast and that's why Aucklanders <laughs> can't get properties, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's not just Auckland here we're talking about, right? That's, uh, yes, it is an expensive place to live, but there's other major centers out there as well, Christchurch, Wellington, and even in the regions, there's some expensive places and properties mm. are, are expensive as well, but it's not the, the smashed avo and toast. It's everything else that goes along with that, right? So it's in, really important to kind of have the right mindset and get good control over your income allocation, right? It's about making sure that you're saving when the minute your income comes into your account, you're putting money away, not at the end, right? I used to do at the very end and it's just 
just doesn't, doesn't work. work. No. no, because it's, oh, I couldn't save. So we need to make sure we've got good income allocation. Understanding where your money goes is extremely important, right? That's the first thing. The deposit side of it, setting some goals, like you mentioned, you know, understanding how much you need and how you're going to do that and having a timeline to achieve that goal. Is it going to take you six months? Is it going to take you 12 months? And yes, we there are tools out there to help you understand that. But the first one, mindset and poor income allocation actually really go hand in hand, don't mm, they? Like, definitely, definitely. They, they really do. With, with bad income allocation, you're going to have a negative mindset. But if you have the right mindset and good income allocation, you should be able to it's achieve win-win. it. Yeah, it is a win-win. Absolutely. And that, I think, moves us on to number three, because we've talked inadvertently about being able to afford a mortgage and pay for one, and that's you know, your income. Understanding the power of your deposit and a huge part of this and the applications that you see would be KiwiSaver. Am I correct? Yeah, KiwiSaver is awesome. You know, it's basically a locked savings account, but instead of being able to, instead of your money just sitting there and not really doing a lot, it's actually being invested and, and putting into work. So yeah, a lot of people, as you say, get down about, you know, not being able to save in this current environment. But that's the beauty of KiwiSaver. You know, it automatically comes out of your pay and it's almost like a set and forget savings fund. And you'll say this as well, but I always encourage people that, you know, if you're currently contributing the minimum 3%, if you can increase this to, to 8 to 10% and you'll see how much faster your KiwiSaver grows. At the end of the day, your paycheck in your hand will become less, but at least you won't be, I guess, tempted into dipping into your savings account. You know, it's put away somewhere else. You don't really see it or access it. Inadvertently, it is a savings account. So if you do have bad income allocation, you can't <laughs> yeah. save, right? You increase your KiwiSaver exactly. and you're inadvertently saving what, 12% or whatever it might well be, 8%, right? Now, I think it's crazy in New Zealand that 3% is the minimum because Australia is yeah, different. Yeah, it's high, right? Yeah, I believe it's like 12% or something along those lines. So like their balance when it comes to purchasing property are way higher, but we do have the ability to do it. But the mindset again of only doing 3% because she'll be right, she'll be enough. It's not these days, right? We need to be looking at external factors. You said set and forget. Now that's, I believe is accurate. Okay. It's very true, but I want to dive into that setting forgetting because you can forget where your KiwiSaver is, what sort of fund you're in. You can forget all those details. Do you often see first-time buyers that you know, might have been in a conservative fund for a long period of time? And when you ask them, it's like, oh, I just forgot. I don't know where it was. I think a lot of people don't know how KiwiSaver can work harder for them. And I would say at least 60 to 80% of our clients are just have their KiwiSaver fund with the bank. You know, they don't really do anything with it. They just see the money increase as each pay goes in, but they don't know what fund they're in. They don't know that there's different types of funds. So yeah, a lot of education machine in that in that sense as well. Yeah, I, I'm going to share a story with my KiwiSaver journey because I was... I did this whole, you know, things I wish I knew five years ago because being in this industry opens your eyes a lot. And with regards to my KiwiSaver, five years ago, well, at the time that I worked this out, there was, but if I put $50 a week into my KiwiSaver over the period of five years as a voluntary contribution, and I went from three to 6%, I would have had an extra $25,000 in my Wow, see, that's massive. You know, that's huge when you're going and buying property. The smallest thing, like 50 bucks a week, right? Probably how much I spend on coffee, you know? It's maybe not actually, but (laughs) that's a lot of coffee. The power of knowledge, I think, goes a long way, right? And you said it yourself, having it work harder for you is extremely important. So it's about, you know, making sure you actually understand where it is and what you're contributing, how much you're contributing, what's that journey looking like? Is it going up? Is it going down? But the power of KiwiSaver is huge, right? Now, would you say with the applications you get across your desk and the clients you're currently helping and have helped, the KiwiSaver is what's actually pulling them over the line? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'd say majority of our first time buy clients, that's probably 90% of their deposit makeup. You know, if you have 60,000 in your KiwiSaver, that's a $600,000 property. If you can save another, even $10,000 on top of that, that increases your borrowing up for another 
100,000. So yeah, I mean, KiwiSaver is so important and that's where we get majority of our deposit funds coming from. Like I said, saving's hard. So at least we've got KiwiSaver to lean on and I think it's such a great scheme. I would agree with you. Now we've got the thought process, the mindset, right? And it's always going to come back to this point number one as well, because I think it's that action holds people back. We see that. But all of these four points all kind of work together. So we've got the mindset, we've got the income allocation, having you know poor income allocation, not focusing on it. Underestimating the power of KiwiSaver is huge. Now, point number four, right? Not having the right team. That's so, so important to get this one right. And I think it's just as important as everything else, right? We've got banks, we've got brokers, and we've got financial advisors, right? Now, can you just explain a little bit between what is the bank there to do, the broker and the financial advisor, how are they all different? Yeah, definitely. So the bank, they work for themselves in terms of if you work with ANZ, that's the only product that they can advise on is, is within their own bank. So they don't have access to all the other banks and what's on offer. And with a broker, I guess they can facilitate the transaction. So they'll let you know how much you can borrow and you know get you the money, get that all approved and that's done. I guess where financial advisors are different and that's where Mortgage HQ have a big focus on is the education side. So of course, you know we're going to look around all of the banks and see which bank is best suited for you in terms of interest rates or loan products. The big focus is education and not sort of just leaving you there with that first property, but actually building that wealth and for the next property. Yeah. And I think broker and financial advisors, right? It's a really fine line because the terminology, like we're all financial advisors in the end of the day, because that's what our qualification mm. says we are as a financial advisor. I think when it comes down to brokers versus financial advisors, we just see it a little bit different. You know, there are people might not see it the same way. A broker can facilitate the initial transaction to get you into your first home, but they might not have the resources or knowledge or ability to help you leverage and buy future properties, right? You might, your options might be limited. It's not always the case, right? And we're not saying like a one man band or anything like that isn't the right, might not be the right person for you at all. The way we look at financial advisors is that we provide financial advice on a range of different areas, right? And as you said, education is key. But would you agree? And I think you did just touch on it as well with, you know, the banks, they can only facilitate one sort of product, right? So that's surely limiting your options if you just walk through the doors of a major bank, right? Because one bank could be way better for you and have different requirements than another, right? Mm, yeah, definitely. And even in terms of how much we can borrow from the bank. So different bank banks have different uh, what we call servicing calculations. So basically, how do they treat your income if you're on commission? How do they scale that back? If we have borders, how much can they go up to per border? So yeah, there's lots of different ways where we can get you the most money from the bank, but also best interest rates. Um, best loan products. So yeah, that's where we, we sort of figure out what is tailored to you. But yeah, definitely. I think if you're a first-time buyer and going through this process for the first time, you're naturally going to have a lot of questions. And yeah, with the bank or you don't really get a lot of those answers or a lot of that assistance. So I think that's where we love to take time with our clients in a sense that we try and explain everything in detail, you know, answer questions and more, I think more importantly, speak in your language because yeah, there's going to be so many terms that you don't understand and lawyers are going to use all of these different words that you've never heard before. So that's where we sort of yeah dumb it down a little bit and just speak to you as if you're a person or, or a friend and just help you yeah, all the way through it from start to finish. I think for us, we are an education company, right? Yeah. And that's what we focus on. Now I've got to, we normally, well, we do arrange all our content so we know what we're going to be talking about, but I'm going to throw you a curveball here. I'm going to ask you another question because I have had this a lot myself, right? There's going to be people out there that want to buy a property and they're thinking, I'm going to buy an investment property first instead of an owner-occupied. Talk to me about the uh, limitations. If we're thinking of buying an investment property as our, our first property, it unfortunately means that we can't use KiwiSaver. And as we talked about earlier, KiwiSaver is the big chunk of, of most people's deposit, but also in terms of how much the bank would let us borrow up to. So first home buyer, we can borrow up to 
90% usually of the purchase price. Whereas if it's an investment property, we can only go up to 65% if it's an existing or 80% if it's a new build, you know, like a brand new property. The main thing is that deposit. A lot of people don't have that 35% or even 20% deposit to buy an investment property. And KiwiSaver, yeah, it makes sense just to try and take it out when you can. And then the next time you, you won't be able to take it out as, as until retirement. So Yeah, well, I guess as well, if you do have a, say, a 20% deposit there and your property, so your purchase in 2024 where we're a lot lower in prices than we were in 2021. That's, you know, they've come down a, a lot, right? We'd expect to see some growth in the years to come as well. So then the idea is if you've got your 20% tied up because you've used your KiwiSaver, then when equity grows or the property goes up in value, there are options to then look at an investment property, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we can use, you know, that what we call equity in our home that has built up. So naturally through paying down the mortgage and the property increasing in value, we build up this thing called equity. And that's the the great thing, what we call leverage is we can use that equity to buy an investment property. And that's sort of where we coach you through that whole process. And, you know, we touch base with you regularly, usually annually on an annual basis and sort of do a review of your position. So yeah, you're not sort of left with the one property and you're on your own. We definitely hold your hand through the whole process and yeah, build, you, build that wealth, right? It's, it's a long-term goal. Yeah. I'll share another story, I guess, with my journey into home ownership. And it's funny because the catalyst was Blandon, funnily enough, right? And this is when I very first came on board with the team. I was looking at buying a property with my then uh, partner, now wife. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> what I was looking at was a seven to $800,000 in an area in Auckland, a three-bedroom property, right? And that's sort of what we were looking at. And we're going to open homes. We're, we're going auction. We were missing out, right? We were missing out whether we, we didn't want to bid as much as other people were. The market was really crazy, starting to really heat up. And again, I kind of felt like, man, what do we do? I remember Blandon turning around to me. He's like, Andy, why, why are you trying to buy like a three to four-bedroom or property? Look at options when it comes to home and incomes, right? So what a home and income is, if you don't know, is a property that has another form of income, whether that be a dwelling underneath the house that you can rent out legally and obtain rent, or if it's a separate dwelling on your property that you rent out as well and again, obtain rent. Now, what that actually meant was that I could service a truck ton more money, a lot more money, right? And it allowed us to buy the house in which we are now, which was a home and income. But without that sort of, that question, so like, Andy, why are you doing that in your situation? Like you should be doing this. Without that conversation, I wouldn't be where I am today, right? That one conversation, and change the trajectory of you know, what I could do now. Look, I didn't believe I could get the house in which we're in today because I didn't know, right? At the beginning stage, yes, I had to also tidy up my income because I was spending money on other things that I shouldn't have been. You know, I was buying golf clubs and football stuff and things like that, right? I was spending money where I shouldn't have. I obviously, as we've talked about, didn't understand the power of KiwiSaver either because I would have made changes a lot earlier. So if there's anyone sitting there listening to this, I would encourage you to start there as well, right? Look at your options around that KiwiSaver because it will make a big difference. And ultimately, I didn't know it at that point, but I didn't have the team I needed around me, right? Which happens to be obviously bland in the wider team. So these four mistakes that we've gone through can stop you in your tracks from buying a property in 2024, not believing you can do it, poor income allocation, understanding or misunderstanding the importance and the power KiwiSaver really has to purchasing your first home and not having the right team around you. These are all things that can stop us from purchasing property in 2024. Get these right, change that mindset. Anyone can do it, right? You've seen it in front of you with your clients. That's it for us today. I think we've covered those four mistakes stopping you from purchasing property in 2024. From our experience, appreciate your knowledge, your wisdom. I know you've helped a lot of first-time buyers in the past 12 months and well before then uh, through your journey as a mortgage advisor. So great to have you on the show today and, and get your insights. 